Hello, my name is Dan Morgan, your host, and thank you for joining the Podcast Potables Network, home of both Process Potables and the Brew Coats. We are happy to be a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. You can find all things Process Potables at www.processpotables.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Process Potables. Also, we would like to thank our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. You can contact them for any real estate needs in New Jersey at 856-904-5636. And if you mention Process Potables, you can get exclusive savings. We will get you right in to the podcast right away. But first, our friends in the presence of wolves. K.O., how many biscuits? This guy got six biscuits for 20 people. Matisse. Nobody asked. Nobody even asked for one. No. But guess what? Where's the Popeye's fries at? Huh? So you only going to get Chick-fil-A fries, huh? The man got six biscuits for 20 people. You know what I'm saying? Anybody? Anybody want a bite? Anybody want a bite? Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of Process Potables. This episode is titled Six Biscuits for 20 People. We are live from Kelly Green Brewing in Pittman, New Jersey. You can find Kelly Green on Instagram. It is Kelly Green Brewing Co. And we appreciate them having us. We will have an interview with Justin from the brewery uh, later in the episode, so make sure that you stay tuned for that. Do you want to shout out Design Tree? for all our shirts and hoodies and everything that we have. We have some of those with us tonight, and you can go to designtree.com slash process-potables to find all of those. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, give us that five-star rating, leave a review. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and on Tapped at Process Potables. Also want to shout out Kyle and Underground Sports Philadelphia, our fam. They just had their 200th episode of the flagship podcast, uh, with Old Takes Exposed as a guest is a really cool episode. Uh, people that are familiar with that, uh, that was a really good listen. And I think their two-year anniversary is coming up as well. So there's more coming from that. And then anything else regarding Process Potables, you can find at www.processpotables.com. Steve, before we even talk about actual basketball, you had not seen that video clip until right now. Your first thoughts as not only a fan of the team and the players, but general hijinks, hazing, and Popeyes and Chick-fil-A. You know, my first thought that came to mind was that we've come a long way from people complaining about Embiid eating like uh, chicken, like four chicken sandwiches and milkshakes. Or was that Fultz? Now that I think about well, it, well, Fultz had to get the stuff because okay, yeah, he was he the rookie, but the Embiid stuff. was the one eating it all. Right, but. And beat is injured right now, which exactly. we'll also get to. So I think everyone's okay with a uh, a fast food buffet 
as long as Joel Embiid isn't involved. But no, I I I, th- I thought it was a uh, very very funny. And was that like uh, Ennis at the very end? He was like, yeah, like I'll, I'll take a bite. Like, yeah, Ennis Kyle- was, <laughs> Ennis wasn't even paying attention. He's willing to already to take a bite of a Kyle Quinn bitten into biscuit. I hope Kyle Quinn washed his hands because I don't really trust guys on this team sharing food with all the gastroenteritis that we see in uh, our day to day with this team and guys missing games and whatnot. Either that or whatever virus that uh, keeps Kyle Quinn on the bench. So maybe I, bl- you- I believe that virus's name is Norvell Pell. Yeah, and we'll get to that. Oh, we'll get as to well. that. All right. So we mainly want to talk about the Boston game, but since the last podcast, we did also have the Oklahoma City game. Which, to me, the only big thing to come of that was the Embiid injury, which we'll get to later. But as far as just that game is concerned, it was good to break the four-game losing streak. Oklahoma City, I believe, had won five in a row coming into that. And they're, like, sneaking into the, you know, bottom end of the Western Conference playoff picture. They may end up being sellers, but right now, I mean, Chris Paul, Gallinari, you got Nerlens Noel coming off the bench, having a decent year for them. Like, they have pieces that teams are going to be interested in. Right now, they're all still there. So they've been playing pretty well. You beat them 120 to 113. The only stat that I really came out of that game with that I think this is a positive for the most part, but it does also speak to the thing we've been talking about a lot lately as a lot of these dates approach regarding two-way contracts and the buyout market and the trade deadline is that our starters scored 89 of the 120 points. So you only get 31 from your entire bench of... And there's mostly Trey Burke, a little bit of Furkan. I, I think the only other person I think that might have scored was James Ennis. So not a whole lot from the bench for the most part, but you get by. Uh, before we really harp on the Boston game, which, which you and I attended, which was awesome, what were your thoughts from this Oklahoma City game? I was just happy to break that four-game losing streak. I was a little bit worried because – um, early in the second half, Ben and Tobias got into some foul trouble, but Embiid, uh, you know, played through the injury. That was probably a big part of why we were able to stay in that game. I wasn't feeling so good because it seemed like, especially earlier on the game, Chris Paul uh, was a little turnover prone and wasn't having you know that great of a game that you're used to seeing him at. Uh, but the thing that really stood out to me, and I think they even mentioned this in a broadcast, how three minutes into the fourth quarter they. Um, they put them in the bonus. You put them in the bonus, but then they didn't foul them again until uh, with less than three minutes left. So that was really impressive that the team was able to just play smart defensively, not force another foul. Because I know Brett got, said that in his post game yeah. talk to them too. But they always show the video of the, when they do the bell ringing, right? And and I knew exactly where you were going with that just from watching that video. That yeah, you know, you get into some early foul trouble, you put them in the bonus, and you're like, oh man, here we go. And then they have that kind of that's. It's a good thing in this instance, but it's another thing that we talk about a lot with this team that's frustrating. It's like they get into that foul trouble and you wish they were more disciplined. And then, you know, I hate using this phrase so often, but they like flip that switch. They, right. they get their heads right. They, you know, they keep their head on their shoulders. They up their intensity. They play smart. And all of a sudden you can go, you know, five, six plus minutes without right. committing a foul. It's like, why, why aren't you just doing this the entire time? And exactly. I don't think a lot of those fouls will like, Sometimes you have to give credit to players. Yeah. We know they're like, Oklahoma City doesn't really have those guys. Like, Chris Paul's the only one that I even, even say is remotely like a guy that's smart enough to draw a couple fouls, but he's nowhere near the likes of uh, James Harden or, or, or anybody like that. Yeah. And especially when you guys have like Chris Paul, Gallinari, uh, uh, you know, Shy Jills, Alexander, you send them You're to the line. You're brave for trying that one. Yeah. 
I, I, I did like I, I think I got it ninety percent correct, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, send, sending those got kind of guys to the line, I, that would have put us out in the game. So I was just really happy that they were able to rebound from that. So the Embiid injury is the big story of that, and and the real questionable part, knowing what we know now, is is the fact that he even came back into that game. We know now going on to the Boston game, he obviously sat that out. And, again, we'll get to the Embiid injury in a little bit. But, you know, sets that game out. It looks like he's going to be out for at least a week or two. And I I feel like the general consensus, which is somewhat understandable, uh, but I think it was a little premature, was panic. Uh, Boston's been playing really well. They sit at number two in the East right now. And people seem to just kind of forget about the fact that we were 2-0 and against them already. The home opener, which this team had no chemistry to that point still, and then a game in Boston where you had Embiid, but you didn't have Horford, and you still won. So you go into game three now, it's back in Philly, you're without your best player in Joel Embiid, and I had said before the game, which I apparently got a little bit of flack for, but I think I was right, it's like it wasn't meant to have anything to do with Embiid's greatness, but I think that we actually match up really well with Boston without him because of a lot of the things that they ended up doing, which is playing with pace, getting out and running, transition, you know, quick, quick defense. Like Boston plays with like four, kind like a point guard, three guys that are like all kind of like shooting guard, small forward mixes. People call Jason Tatum a power forward. It's a complete joke. Yeah. And then, you know, Daniel Tyser and his canter as a center. So even without Embiid, when you're throwing out, you know, Horford and Simmons and Tobias, like, they're bigger. And you can still bully them and you can still implement size, but you have way more speed and athleticism without Joel running, you know, top of the arc to top of the arc and, and, and things like that. So, again, it wasn't meant to be I'm – not, I'm not one of those guys that, that is now like, oh, look at how good we played, like, trade and beat. Like, that's stupid. That's absolutely stupid. We don't even have to have a conversation on it. Anybody who thinks – anybody who thinks that you should trade – Ben or Embiid can can just fuck off. I won't hear it. I don't want to talk about it. It's not a conversation that we have to have. But I I really I truly felt confident in their ability to play against a team like Boston with the lineup that they were putting out there. And well, I was right. I think part of it, I, I I do agree with you to an extent. I think part of it is not so much that the team has a way of of winning and running the court and the pace and without Embiid. I think part of it's just either not having not having both Horford and Embiid on the floor definitely helps that. Because I think we would have gotten close to that if Embiid was at center and Horford wasn't, you know, in the game. So I think part of it's just, you know, this this team really looks good when it's just one of them on the floor playing center and then, you know, the other is on the bench. And we're going to be seeing a lot of that with Embiid out for one or two weeks. Uh, and back to what you were saying earlier about the Embiid panic, I think part of it was just you're going to have that large section of the fan base. They're always just going to overreact and panic with any little Embiid injury, but also not being that you know far off from uh, that Carson Wentz injury. I think th- that's just been instilled in in us and hasn't really helped us at all as fans. So Yeah, shout out friend of the pod, uh, Victor Williams, the Philly special podcast. He made already what is probably the best meme of 2020, early contender. I think I think it'll hang in there for the entire year of the two arms locked. And it's like Joel Embiid and Carson Wentz. And it's like, 
fighting an incorrect injury narrative. And I was I listed a thing. We were hanging out in the Center City Club before the game, and ESPN had a graphic up of Joel Embiid oh my and God. said, "Oh no, not again!" And listed five different unrelated injuries that he's had over like four to five years. And it's it's the same thing with Carson. If it was the same thing all the time, then I would understand the concern. I would understand the injury-prone tag. You have to look at these things. They, they have to make sense. They have to add up. Him getting his orbital bone fractured by his teammate elbowing him in the face doesn't make him injury-prone. Exactly. It's, it's a freak accident. Him having a finger dislocated is a freak accident. And, dude, that's, that's, that's what's just been driving me crazy. It just seems like there's a big difference between having injury history and being injury-prone. Greg Oden was injury-prone. Andrew Bynum was injury-prone. Andrew Bynum just had two terrible knees that just were re-injured over and over and over again. Whereas Embiid, like you just said, these are all injuries. They're all completely different. And... Embiid got, you know, whacked in the finger. And, I mean, if you grew up playing basketball, I'm not saying that's how this happened, but, like, it's common to, like, jam your finger, whether it's catching oh, the ball, all the time. block. Yeah, so it's it's kind of similar in that regard. It's just a freak thing. It's like stubbing it your gross. toe. It's one of those things that happens once in a while, and it's the worst thing ever. And right. you always think about it. And when it happens, like, there's nothing you can do about it. It's unfortunate, and it hurts like hell. And, and it is what it is. And we're, I, we're, we're just going into the Embiid injury thing now. We're, we're changing yeah. course. I figured this injury was going to be a week or two, but one thing I kind of noticed was his, his shot wasn't as fluid as it normally was, but he also wasn't really rebounding. And Is this before or after the injury? After the injury, well, when he came back into the game. Well, so, no shit. Well, yeah, I know that, but one thing I noticed was that he, he just couldn't rebound, and he every rebound was a tip with his other hand. So I'm like, fuck, like, this is going to be a really bad injury. This Because uh, I know sometimes you can get a dislocated finger, and it's just like you put it back into place and you're fine. And then you, you just whatever, you have a little cast or taped. But, I, like, when I saw him tipping the passes, because in, in, in that game. Well, the difference is, so he had surgery this morning in New York. Uh, I believe Keith Pompey had said a couple hours ago it was successful. Take that for whatever you want. But to what you're saying about, you know, whether you can manage it or not, I think it depends on, on what it actually is. And in this case, the official diagnosis was a torn radial collateral ligament in the ring finger of his left hand. So it wasn't actually just a dislocation. Like a torn ligament is something yeah. where like, you actually have to get that repaired. Like if the finger's just out of place, a lot of times you'll see they can kind of just tape it to another finger yeah. and you don't have that one, but like you're good. Like it keeps it in place. It keeps it locked in. You can't do any further damage. When it's a ligament and something internal, then that's a whole other story. So that speaks to what you're saying about how he really just couldn't use it. And there wasn't gonna be there wasn't gonna be an option to play through it. The concern is why the hell was he allowed back in the game at that point? I mean, I understand that a torn ligament is probably very hard to diagnose right, yeah. in real time, and he's also probably vying to get back in. We have this conversation all the time about the you know who's in charge of this. Does Embiid have more say, or does the team have more say? And I just think that at this point in the season, when it's the middle of the season, and you figure you know you have the time to, to get things right and, and even maybe give him a rest that you have to be more cautious. Like, it's the playoffs, it's another story, I think. Like, I get that, but it's not. We're not even at the All-Star break yet. So I don't think there should have been that that desire or or, uh, desperation to have him go back in. Uh, Brett Brown was quoted in regards to not having Embiid going forward, quote, everybody sitting in front of me would understand 
what do you miss on defense in what you used to have in a seven foot two all NBA defender and now you don't? Then you get into offense. You've got an all league player that's sort of your focal point to your offense. You don't have him. What does that mean? Pace of game, focal points, call of plays. So where do I begin? It's massive. I think if you looked at sort of the results we've had without Joel, we have lots of room to grow. So the Boston game, kind of transitioning into that, is is the first look at kind of what we think is going to be a little bit of trial and error and a little bit of uh, experimentation from Brett. So before the Boston game, Brett was quoted as saying, in regards to like their game plan and scheming without him, quote, I'm putting a blowtorch, a bullet, many bullets into what we used to do. Really, it doesn't fit. So it's on me to make it fit. We don't have Joel Embiid. So when I say blowtorch and bullet, I mean it. Before we really break down the game, Steve, my first question to you is, what we saw in that game, is there anything that you took away that you would describe as you know, a blowtorch or a bullet to what we're used to seeing them do? I, I really don't know. Now, the starting lineup, we were kind of surprised. I thought with Embiid out, they would move uh, Tobias to the four and have Furkan start, but then Mike Scott uh, started at the four, which I, I I really didn't like, but I guess you could argue as far as a blowtorch and a bullet. I mean, there you go. We also talked at the game you had mentioned that maybe this is – they're giving Scott that start as a confidence boost. And, yes. he, and he was also coming off a, a fairly uh, decent game in Oklahoma City, too. So um, there's part of that. There's also – it's been a while since we've seen Ben playing the 5-2. Yeah, did you hear his, his quotes on that? Because I thought that was interesting. Because yeah. he, he was like – he's like, I don't look at it in regards to positions. Uh, I wouldn't really say that, that I was playing the center. But he did say, you know, I don't mind guarding bigs. So, like, that's good at least because, you know, there's been a whole ton of conversation on, on his willingness to be flexible, on his willingness to shed this, this just point guard kind of title. So, while the whole not really wanting to talk about being playing the five at that point, which he clearly was, right, is, is weird and, yeah, I don't love it. I don't yeah, really care as long as he's like, but I'll guard big. It's like, fine, if you're going to do the work – that, that's what matters to me. And, like, positionless basketball is, is a real thing and a real conversation. It's the big, it, it really came from that Warriors dynasty where guys weren't really playing positions. And no one gave them any shit because they were winning. So exactly. you win, you don't really care if anybody's, if anybody's saying that they're playing this specific position. Unfortunately, it's the losing part that where we have to dissect everything right. over and over and over. And, I mean, he if you think about it, he probably what, only played five maybe Seven, eight minutes at five, oh. Ben. Yeah, probably not even. Yeah, not even. So, and I felt, and we didn't see, well, we, we talked about the last episode, that uh, pick and roll or, or the screen with him and uh, Josh Richardson, we didn't really see that until the end of the fourth quarter where, where they tried it and it didn't really work. So I felt that could have had a part in taken away from that, which is such a strength. And I feel like we're almost all in agreement that Brett doesn't run that enough. So, but I, again, you know, Ben playing a five, if it's under 10 minutes a game, especially when you're guarding guys like Cantor and Tice, I'm okay with it. But, you know, in the playoffs, I don't know if I want him guarding Giannis or any other really physical guys. So. I mean, they came out and they were doing it at the beginning. I mean, we saw Josh Richardson come out on fire, and a lot of it was, you know, Ben giving it to him, setting a screen, and we saw Richardson killing those those mid-range jumpers from like 18 yeah. to 20 feet. And then – 
it was funny because then they kind of went away from it again, and it's something that we've questioned, like, this is working. Why don't you stick with it? Why does it seem like something you abandon when it's successful? But we did see a lot of, of pretty successful pick-and-roll stuff also with Horford and Norvell Pell specifically, yeah. which was awesome to see too. And we're going to get to Norvell in a little bit as well. I thought as far as the initial quote from Brett, the blow towards the bullet thing, like the first half and, and even the third quarter, like I felt like they were pretty much just doing kind of vanilla things, uh, weren't really being that drastic with anything. Uh, in the second quarter, 450 in the second quarter, they were down 51 to 38. And from that point in the game on, they outscored the Celtics 71 to 47. But what I thought was the most interesting was the start of the fourth quarter. And this is where I think that Brett quote actually makes a lot of sense. Start of the fourth quarter, the lineup was Trey Burke, Josh Richardson, Furkan Korkmaz, Mike Scott, and Norvell Pell. You started the fourth quarter of a game <laughs> against the second seed in the East, and you were down by three at that point, 80-77. to 77. That lineup played just under three minutes. No substitutions, no anything. That lineup played two minutes and 55 seconds before Horner, Horford entered for Norvell Pell. When they made that switch, the Sixers were up 86-85. to That lineup actually was plus four. Dude, it scared the hell out of me because we were at James Ennis in the lineup away from it being a garbage time lineup, and I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. These are clearly small sample size numbers, but just so you know, I, I looked this up. The offensive rating of that lineup was 180. The defensive rating was 100. So the net rating of that lineup was plus 80. That's crazy. And then when they put Horford in for Pell, that lineup played until the 628 mark. Yeah. So all you did was switch Horford for Pell, and that lineup played half of the fourth quarter and, and got you the lead and never lost it again for the record. Once they gained the lead, it never went back yeah, for the rest of the game. Point. And then at that point, they were at that point they're only up four, and Tobias and Ben enter, but they held on the entire time. That's crazy to me. And that like, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that that lineup that lineup success is sustainable. Clearly, I have no idea, and I wouldn't expect it to be. Like, all bits aside about a lot of those guys being guys that I love. But it's absolutely insane. Our friend Thiago, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast, who is a great Twitter follow, at T-Scabia, T-S-C-A-B-B-I-A, who also we got to congratulate because uh, today he joined my former website, The Painted Lines. Oh, nice. Uh, he's, Congrats, he's working bro. with them now, so... Good for him and good for them because he's a great get, uh, really good follow. So he put he had the Sixers overall fourth quarter ratings. So I took these from him. The offensive rating was one hundred thirty nine point one. The defensive rating eighty one point eight, which is elite as hell, and that's a plus fifty seven point three net rating. The the Celtics scored eighteen points in the fourth quarter, forty three in the second half, eighteen in the fourth quarter. Like so, that's crazy, and that's without Joel Embiid, who is like. A guy that we constantly are saying could be, you know, defensive MVP. His first team all defense is best defensive center in the league. All those numbers are with him out completely. So what you're saying is this big lineup finally ran a team off the court. What That's I'm, what all those numbers tell you. What I'm saying is that the people that for the last two weeks have been talking about trading Al Horford need to shut down the trade machine. Please. They, they just need to shut down the trade machine in general. I, well, I know that's your opinion, <laughs> and I get it. So after the game, Brett Brown was asked about the offense, and he said, quote, I thought the execution, the spacing, the purposeful understanding of what we were trying to do was there tonight. And I don't know about you, but I take that quote very directly 
related to a lot of the player quotes that we had been hearing for the last week where it seemed like guys were kind of subtly throwing shade and calling other guys out about their role. And I feel like this was Brett acknowledging that, like, everybody heard that and everybody kind of answered the bell to an extent about doing things they need to do. We saw Ben Simmons setting screens and being aggressive, going to the rim, and especially as a Boston team that he has a bad history of not being successful doing that, as they'll love to remind you about the playoff game where he scored zero points. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a totally totally different team on both sides. Boston only has 10 losses this season still. Three of them are to us. 3-0, and win the season series. First time since 2013-14 that we've done that. With the win, 109.98. Josh Richardson was the big story of this to me. We talked about him at the beginning of the game going off. Uh, these numbers now come from a uh, friend of the podcast, Jimmy McCormick, for ESPN. He had 29 points and 7 assists. We're talking about Josh Richardson. He scored against five different primary defenders, uh, as far as the Celtics are concerned. And, you know, noted stopper for them, Marcus Smart. Richardson was 4-5 when Smart guarded him. And the Sixers, the remaining team, Shot seven of eight from the floor when it was a shot directly related from a Josh Richardson pass. Wow. So, like, that's crazy. And we talked in the beginning of this. Well, Brett talked about in the beginning of the season. So then, obviously, we all did about Josh Richardson kind of filling that backup, that secondary ball handler role, possibly being, like, the actual de facto backup point guard. And I think we've seen a lot of times in this season where we didn't love that idea. And we have also seen Trey Burke start to come on, and now his contract is officially fully guaranteed, which I'm very happy to see because, again, moves aside, like we talked about in the last podcast with Marty Teller, Trey Burke is a a not-so-great version of a lot of things they do need. Yes. So while we kind of expect them to upgrade there, and I have something about that later as well when we talk about Norvell Pell, Right now, Trey Burke is filling a need, and I think that he's done a, a good enough job in that backup role. And I think that's good because that takes weight off of Josh Richardson's shoulders and lets him do the things he was doing in a more primary role, in that secondary handler to Ben Simmons, being a creator, being another facilitator that we think unlocks so much for this offense, and that's definitely the case. Yeah, maybe going forward, if, if Josh Richardson continues to have games like this where he's just feeling it, kind of sidebar before I go into all of that in the first quarter it just seemed it was like a boxing fight like him and like Kemba were like exchanging blows it's just like I'll get mine and I'll get yours I think the Celtics started off like they hit their first five threes if not more they definitely hit at least the first five yeah definitely Um, I think we were talking you know the first six minutes of that game I, I think it was I think with more than six minutes left in the first the game was like 20 to 20 like it was on pace to end at like a 160 160 yeah. tie and then the whole game slows down and I'm guessing the over for this game was was well over 200 and it, and the game total ends up being my math is right 207 so I would bet it hit the under but man like the the beginning of that game was a frantic pace and then the Celtics were just hitting ridiculous shots over and over. It didn't yeah. seem like we were having like a significant number of breakdowns. They were just shooting the lights out. It's kind of one of those things. And it's the way this, this defense is built as a whole. Like You're going to give shots, but you're hoping you're giving them low percentage shots. And if teams hit them, then they hit them. And that's what it felt like. Like I wasn't even mad down like 13 in the second. It, it just felt like, yo, like if this is how they're going to shoot tonight, then you, you weren't going to win. Yeah, there's something you can do but, about that. But, you know, a lot of people like to talk about variance and, and regressing to the mean and things like that. 
And that's kind of one of those things that I think this team's philosophy is built on. And it's tough for us because we, we live possession to possession and basket to basket. But I think you have to understand that, one, this team is very good defensively, like overall. Even if you think in short spurts, you're seeing flashes where they're not. I think that's just the NBA. You're playing against good players. You're playing against talented offensive players. Like We, we joke about you know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being inefficient. And this is actually... An amazing stat I saw today, which really doesn't mean anything, but it's it's funny to bring up. Ben Simmons is now eleven and zero versus Kemba Walker in his career. Really, eleven and zero. If Ben Simmons plays and Kemba Walker plays, eleven and zero. Yeah, and of course Marcus Smart only shoots really good against only the Sixers. shoots that's against only the happens. Sixers. But you know what? That's kind of Boston, especially without Al Horford. That's kind of all they really have is just like these guys getting hot, knocking out outside shots and. I mean, everyone likes to bring up that Boston series we had two years ago, and between Tatum, Smart, you know, Scary Terry, they shot the lights out. And what happened in the next round? They got bounced. Right. So that's that's not really sustainable. Going back to what you said earlier with Jason uh, with Richardson, um, Josh Richardson, Josh Richardson, yeah, I had to correct myself. Not process sixer, Jason Richardson. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to have the expectation that, hey, maybe he can start playing five, ten minutes a game as a primary ball handler. But that is a nice luxury to have. And come playoff time, maybe he has a game like this where he, he just goes off and he's just in a good rhythm running the offense. And, I mean, Raul Neto, I'm assuming. Howell. Howell Neto. How? It don't matter. don't matter because he'll be gone. Oh, he's leaving. Yeah. yeah so, I, I think – Playoff time when you're down to an eight or nine man rotation, I mean th- that that's something that you know maybe Brett could be saving in his back pocket down the line. But it's good to see a game like this where he produced. Right, you make a great point, and I think it's in my opinion, and I, I don't even know if this will make sense. I'm going to try and make it work. It's the same thing when we talk about positionless basketball and versatility. Like I don't think you have to. Like there are some roles that you want to find. Like I think we all agree that like Horford should be the backup center and come to playoffs. Like even though we're going to talk about Norval Powell and um, and spoiler alert, like I want him to stay with the team in the playoffs. Like I don't expect him to get run. Like I expect no. them to only solely have Joel Embiid and Al Horford at center. Like some of those roles you want to clearly define, but other ones are matchup dependent. They're, you know, like hot streak or like rhythm dependent. Like, I don't think you have to just go in and say Josh Richardson is our backup point guard. But if he's on and the playmaking's there and he's hitting his shots and go you want to roll with that, go with it. If it's a matchup where he, he has a favorable matchup and he can get by his guy, go with it. So, like, Josh Richardson is, is so flexible that I don't think you have to be like, hey, this is what, what he is. This is the only role we want to put him in, like... Every night he can do something different. There may be a playoff series where he just has to lock down on somebody and you can't really count on him on the offensive end as well. Like You can only ask for so much. Maybe if that's the case, if you're asking him to, to clamp down a, a perimeter guard, then you're putting more offensive weight on Joel Embiid's shoulders because if their best scorer is a guard and Jay Rich is going to lock them down, then you, you hope Embiid can handle the scoring portion and, and so on and so forth. So I think we don't have to just – like. You don't have to f- put a square peg in a round hole. Exactly. Like, everything is flexible. It's all Play-Doh. It's all meant to be shaped. It's clay. You can do with it what you want to do with it. That's all I have on the Boston game. You have anything else? Uh, Boston sucks. Boston sucks. 3-0, and baby. The only Boston that we respect and appreciate is Boston Scott. 
Shout out. Did you see his tweet? <laughs> Everyone's like, Boston sucks. And he <laughs> Coming up after this, we're going to have our interview with Justin from Kelly Green. And uh, after that, we will talk about Norval Pell, um, some thoughts about what could be coming up as far as moves and the upcoming schedule for the Sixers. But first, a word from our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. All right, cool. All right, so we're here at Kelly Green Brewing. We are speaking with Justin, who's the owner, the brewer, and and he didn't he didn't know what else. So maybe a jack of all trades. Yeah, the man, whatever's got to be done. The glue I'm just guy. Just kind of here yeah, hanging out, beer. The Tobias Harris of, of Kelly <laughs> Green like Brewing. It. You're an all star in my yes. book. Yeah, thank and, you very and, much. And, and deserve it of a max contract as well. Much appreciated. Securing I could bag. use it for sure. So we're hanging out here on a Friday night. It's awesome. We got music playing. There's a there's a pupper here. Yeah. There's uh there's all kinds of food. So like we we've, we've been here before, but this is the first time we're doing the pod here. So we know the area there's so much good food with Day Day Los Burritos. Uh, yeah. W- what's the place you guys are eating from? Thai Burger. Yep. Uh, there's uh, like a pizza place over on the corner. Uh, I guess before we get into like the history of the brewery, just in regards to like this area, like have you found being in like this downtown Pittman area, which was like a dry air and there's like no bars or anything. Correct. And so now like the breweries are really the only thing. Like has this been like a very fruitful area for you guys it kind has. of setting up? And you were like the first ones I think. Yeah, we were we were um years ago we were the first ones to open in all of Gloucester County, actually. Oh wow. Yeah. So we were the first ones to kind of touch down in Gloucester County. Um you know, I was born and raised in Pittman, graduated from Pittman High, lived here my entire life. Um it was just the worst town to grow up in because there was nothing to do. You know, and that was, like, leading all the way up into my 20s. Like, the, you know, we would leave town to go drink because you just couldn't do anything in this town except for getting in trouble. You know, go ride bikes in the woods and bring a 30-pack of beer with you and, oh, yeah. you know, do it that way. But, you know, downtown Pittman right now is totally going through, like, a revitalization thing. It's been kind of on the upswing for a few years now. Um, happy to be a part of it. We're all kind of youngish entrepreneurs right now, so we're feeding off each other, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. You know, it's uh, pretty pretty awesome and, and and fun at the same time because we all hang out with each other too. Like a lot of the small businesses, like we all get together and that's great. And do yeah, things. I know you guys like you have the end grain coffee porter. I know that yep. comes from the end grain coffee shop. So like it's cool when everybody's local and like unique and you're able to do collaboration stuff like that absolutely yeah like you know like we do christmas parties with joe from engrain and steve from dia de los burritos obviously my landlord is steve next door from the caffeinated cyclist so it's all pretty cohesive you know what i mean like i like extreme sports and riding bikes and eating burritos and drinking beer just kind of all fits together pretty well. It seems like there's a like it seems like there's a very strong correlation between bike riding and breweries. Yeah, well, I, which I, is weird. I, <laughs> I haven't gotten it. It's cool. I like it. I like riding bikes too. Yep. And we can relate to growing up in a town with nothing to do. Oh and, yeah, yeah. We're we're although we're, may, may, we're running mid lifers and okay. now yeah, we, yeah. we both live in Deptford. So. Yeah, maybe Pittman has it a little worse than we did. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, it was it was it was it was tough, man. You know, like I remember sitting outside the old. 
the old monster beverage, asking dudes to like oh, grab me a thirty pack. There was just it, you know, and that thirty pack wasn't good beer. It was Red Dog. Oh, oh, Red Dog, Red Dog has oh, his day. <laughs> we, yeah, we go way yeah. back with our, Red Dog. Our joke used to be when you buy a thirty pack of it, the price per can of beer was cheaper than a stamp at the time. <laughs> that's how cheap that beer was. Yeah, it was, it was trash joke. for yeah. sure. And he's talking the Monster Liquor, the one that's now the canals that Correct. used to be like a giant green building. I think they made it yellow, which is even more yeah. disgusting. But yes. I remember that Monster Liquors. Yeah, and then you also, I mean, you guys are. Pretty damn close to Rowan, so that's we also got to be yeah. We for, I the, mean, for the actual of age crowd at least. Yeah, like we don't. It's it's so weird. Like there's this almost invisible wall from Glassboro to Pittman, right? Like you know we're right there, and we were trying like to get. Apparently, there's like a, Ro- a Rowan shuttle that like you know drives the kids around. Sure, like, dude. What do we got to do to get you guys to just come to Pittman? I mean, but they're they're just they're just kind of at, at Rowan all the uh-huh. time. But you know, we definitely get some trickle down. Um, especially from Dia de los Burritos. Yeah, so, oh, my know. God. Yeah. The, okay. fir- the first time I ever went to Kelly Green, I also had that, and then that was like, okay, like, both of these are the reason to come back. Like, you yeah. like a brewery, you know, you go back to the brewery, that's fine. You like a food, but when, when you have them together, like, it's such, yeah. such an easy package deal, and especially because of the, you know, bullshit New Jersey thing where the breweries can't really have it's food. So dumb. Yeah, like, and the breweries we revisit all the time also mm-hmm. have, like, a fa- fantastic food place right next to or near it. Yeah, like, we, we go to Westville a lot, and there's yep. Lawrence's Cabana right next door, so it's also, like, tacos and stuff like that. So, like, we, we like when we can get a little, uh, you know, Spanish or, or Cuban influence when, when we're drinking our beers. Well, it definitely makes it more appealing, you know, with food right there, for sure. You know, you don't have to... Go far, order long, you know what I mean? They yeah. typically Dia de los Burritos, they'll walk it right up. Yep. You know, so it's I remember bad. I remember the first time I saw him ride over on a little bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had that dope little tricycle yep. thing. Yeah. Yeah, my, my mom, you know, always gives me a hard time. You guys go to all these breweries. I'm like, listen, we're we're supporting local businesses right. and what we're doing. <laughs> exactly. So you know what? I support small business far more than you have. Right. Absolutely. Right. That, that's that's what we're doing, man. Yeah, man. It's all good. So now specifically just to you guys. So Kelly Green, I mean, a lot of the ones we go to, we're kind of like, all right, what's going on with the name? You walk in here, see a Reggie White jersey on the wall. Yeah, Anyone man. in the Delaware Valley is automatically going to associate Kelly Green with the Eagles or with like an Irish heritage. Like, is yep. it as simple as that? Is there more to it? No, it's pretty much as simple as that. Um, my dad, uh, who passed away, that was his jersey, that Reggie White jersey. Oh, that's awesome. Um, wow. My best friend slash business partner, diehard Eagles, Philly sports fan. I'm more of an MMA guy myself. Okay. Um, obviously, love the Eagles, but um, and I'm Irish, so we kind of mixed everything up and threw it all together, and and it kind of worked out that way. It's funny because we actually got a, we ended up doing like a podcast with Glenn Mack now too because of the whole thing. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's just. The Kelly Green Eagles, and you know, it was just like, oh my god, I heard this brewery open up in South Jersey. And you know, but he uh, he's like part of Contra Hawken, right? Yep. Is that it? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so you know, we love it all. So, how long have you like? I know we'll get to the move because I want to talk about that. But just like originated, when did you guys start? Uh, and, we and was started. There, and, and how did it start? Like, is it like home brewing to this, or was yeah, it just like we yeah, wanted? Yeah, I, I think or it's did you ride your bikes in the woods to start brewing out there? <laughs> yeah, we're no, t- we're, t- we're tired of taking dirty in the woods. No, it definitely wasn't that. Um, it was just a matter of, I mean, we were bored. 
You know, it was two dudes that we were just best friends. That's the same thing with this podcast, man. Yeah. I was just really bored. We love drinking beer and, you know, just getting shit-faced and hanging out and having a good time. And we're like, why the fuck are we paying for this? So it's yeah. like, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So we figured it out. We ordered an online kit, and we went that way. And we did that for probably, like, maybe seven years. Driveway, kitchen, oh, wow. wherever we could do it. Um, I was working a job down at the nuclear plant down in Salem. Uh, tore my shoulder doing an endurance event. I was out of work for like seven months, and I put a business model together, and, you know, next thing you know, here we are in Pittman, and, you know, they pretty much welcomed us with open arms. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, the town had to, like, vote on it, right, or something? They have, like, a vote or a... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we had to get it passed. They definitely, you know, being from here and growing up here, I, I, I like, I know a lot of people that are on the, the committee and councils and shit, so... I was able to reach out to them, ask their opinion. Yeah, you know, if I even bring this idea, are you guys even going to entertain right. it? And, you know, they were stoked. They didn't, you know. At that point, it was like Dia de los Burritos had just opened. And Grain was just opening. So, like, they could see the They could the see it was coming. Awesome. So they want to embrace Com- it. Yeah, exactly. And they did, you know. And smart. And, like, there's, I think there's, like, a whole kind of change going on in Pittman right now. It's kind of, like, out with the old, in with the new a little bit, you know. Not to sound... No, I mean, that's how a lot of places, I know, like, because, again, we're from Runnymede, so, like, not that it has anything to do with beer, and also, like, I don't really care much for the town anymore, but I know that, like, one of the big things for them has been the fact that they literally have the Black Horse Pike and all the Atlantic City traffic running right through the town, yeah. and there's not a single reason nope. to stop there, right. and I think they're, like, right at the beginning of trying to have, like, a basically, a, like, a Black Horse Pike, like, you know, reinvigoration kind of thing, yeah. like, revitalize that area, because... I mean, it's like prime real estate. Like, yes. people, so many people are going to drive through that. Yeah. Can you find a reason for them to stop? Yes. And like, we used to be big fans of the Irish Mile yep. in Haddonfield, and now they're right there and running it on Third Ave, which is like nice because like that's it's a pretty easy spot to to come and uh, go yeah. from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're on there. at the mile right now. That's like we're small. We're starting to branch out, but like that's one of our local accounts that we kind of service to. And, that, and that's what we always liked about them was like, they were the place that had the small guys and that were, weren't anywhere else. Like oh, yeah, even, dude. If, even if people weren't really distributing, yep. they had one from yep. like everywhere. Yes. Yeah. I know Dave's great like that. Who owns Haddonfield running company and the mile. Yep. Um, you know, you can go in there and see like really small breweries on tap there. 13th child, Kelly green. You know what I mean? Things that like, you're not going to go, to a PJs and yeah. see us on tap there. You know what I mean? Right. It's like he they they embrace it. So it's nice to see that. So as far as like styles, do you guys have, do you just, you know, want to try everything or do you have like a, a niche that, I know you sour guys do the beer. jelly series. Yeah, so. sour beer is our big thing for awesome, sure. Man. We love it. We love, we love it. it. <laughs> we love it in a, a traditional sense, you know, obviously Lambic beers, Belgian style, you know, farmhouse beers, Table beers to, to kettle sours to fruited to non-fruited to dry hop to any kind of sour beer we get our hands on. That's like our favorite style coming out of here and most popular for sure, you know. You guys just, I, I actually, I don't, I don't see it. Did you guys release the, uh, it was like chocolate covered cherry? That's next Friday. It's next Friday. Next Friday. Oh, man. Oh, man. I, I thought it was this one. Yeah. Okay, no. that, that makes <laughs> more sense. No, it's good. I, just, I was just like, oh, my God, did it go already? Because I didn't nah, know if it was like nah, a day nah, or two nah. ago. I was going to, okay. Yeah, we're going to um, start cranking them out now. So I signed a, a, a contract with Nebulous Beverage over in Philly to start distributing over the bridge. Awesome. And it's going to be pretty much 
predominantly our sour beers that are going over. Awesome. So yeah, I, I was in here I think Christmas Eve and got to try the Festivus. Yeah. I still have a, a crowler in my fridge. It, it's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love how, that. Beer. How did you did you guys like? How did you come up with doing this jelly series? You've done so many now, and it seems like it's very very popular. Well, I'm in like a beer mule group on Facebook, so I was paying an arm and a leg to have dudes drive down to Virginia. To the answer, the veil, you know, guys, Burley Oak down in Maryland. Oh, okay. They're you know good. what I mean? And, like, they're making these fruited smoothie sour beers. I'm like, why am I paying, you know, $28 a four-pack? Why Why aren't we just – nobody was doing them in Jersey yeah. at the time. I'm like, why, aren't, why don't we just jump I to, on that? I had to drive home uh, for work. I had to drive from Richmond back to here. Yeah. And, like, halfway through, I stopped at uh, Hysteria. Yeah. And I, I can't remember – what it was, but like I asked, it was a sour with lactose, and I asked them, I'm like, I haven't had this anywhere. They're like, this is a Maryland thing. They're like, almost every brewery around here is gonna have one or two of these. I was like, oh, that's like really interesting. And what you guys have been doing with the jelly series is like the closest thing I've seen to that anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are starting to jump on them right now, but I, I would go so far as to say like that the three, the core three that I know in Jersey that are doing them right now are like us, vinyl, and then heavy reel. Up at Seaside. Like, Jeff's doing them real well. Um, I mean, it's our thing. We love them. And we're, you know, people are buying them out like crazy. Bars are asking for kegs, you know, as much as we can make it. Awesome. So, you know, we're just going to keep making them until people get sick of them. So, you guys, where we're at now, you just moved here a month or two ago? Yeah, a month and a half, yep. So... You know what came with with needing to make the move, and like how did how did you kind of like maintain the business while also facilitating a move to a new location? Because like brewing is obviously like very involved and requires like it's not something you can really do. Like you guys have these giant like tanks right. and everything, and like you're trying to keep going while you're facilitating this process. Like, yeah. like what were the complications in that? And like, what was the thought behind like why you had to do it? And so far, like, you know, would you say it's been a success? Well, yeah, it's been a huge success. I mean, you know, I would say business has pretty much doubled almost every night of the week. Wow. Great. Um, wow. Yeah. Since we moved in, um, we were pushed up against a lease that wanted to like, Put us up against a wall for like another five years, and that building was way too small. Yeah, so it was cramped in there. Uh, yeah, dude, we get like twenty people in there. Yep. people were like, "Oh shit, I'm not going in there. It's bombed." So, um, so Blackman next door, Steve, who wants a caffeinated cyclist? We did a little bit of work. Uh, the town really helped put it together legally awesome. uh, for code. Uh, let it happen, and then I general contracted and built everything in here myself. Wow! We did everything. Wow. We demoed it. We built it. The bar, floor, tile work, the he walls, is a drywall. And the bar looks really nice too. Yeah, we did. We did everything ourselves while maintaining that over there. So Alex, who comes in and brews here with me, I pretty much put him in charge over there. Like I wasn't there. Literally, I would stop in to drink, but I wasn't there for like four and a half months. I would. Not go in. I would not brew. I would not do anything. I was over here handling all this, and uh, you know he was holding it down over there, making sure him and my fiance, who's behind the bar now, um, you know it was hell. It was hot as shit. Yeah. Uh, August, no air. We're Oof. grinding concrete floors, and it just it sucked. But we had to do it for for volume. You know, we wanted to. Next phase of the game for us was distribution, and we could not do it. In that coffin that we were in across the street. So, 
So uh, at this point now, being here, uh, what's the uh, like? What's the plan for distribution? You guys gonna be like canning here? Yeah, correct. Yep. So I'm already in the works of buying a couple ten barrel fermenters. Um, so we're gonna go bigger fermentation right now. We're looking to put a garage bay door in, either in the front or the back, to get easy access in and out for equipment, grain, vice versa. Mobile canner come through. And then, like I said, we just signed with, I don't know if you're familiar with Tavor. It's an internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're on Tavor now. Um, so we'll be selling our wild Saison uh, beers that we bottle and distribute out of nice. here. We'll be selling that across the nation. Oh, wow. And then we'll be selling our sour beers, barrel-aged and kettle sour beers to Philly through, through Nebulous. Yeah. That's awesome. So just, you know. It's like it, in this business, if you're not doing anything, you're staying stagnant, you're just going to oh, die. Oh, for sure. And there's yeah. so many breweries It's now. crazy, like, bro. We're not complaining, but you can, especially since we started doing this, you can go to places and kind of tell, like, I don't, I don't mean this in a, in a necessarily good or bad way, but like, you can tell the ones that are going to last, and you can tell some of the ones that you're like, not sure if we'll get to come back and do another episode yeah. here because yeah. they just kind of seem like, yeah, we opened it and you know for the first couple of months all our friends came in and liked our beer and it's like, okay, but like what's next? Right, like, you Correct. always got to be a step ahead. Yeah, no, like I, I went all in. I had a great job. You know what I mean, very able to support my family, and I quit everything and like this is my full time gig. Like I, I'm a hundred percent in believing that if you don't just put it all on the line and like really force yourself to commit 120 percent the chances of survival are less than than me you know what i mean absolutely you you gotta go you know i couldn't i couldn't agree more. put your balls on the table you know (laughs) so outside of the beer part um do you guys have any other kind of like events that you do do you have like like quizzo or like no you know what i mean we were always a brewery that was um we like to believe that the beer sells the, itself, you know? Respect that. It was never in our business model, never really something that we wanted to do. We like niche weird beer, you know what I mean? Like yeah. traditional sour beers are our thing, like I said, and, 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 and we kind of ham, hamper down on, on what we feel we're good at, and we like to stick to our guns with that. You know, not to say we wouldn't do a, a quizzo. We like a, a live music here and there, but for it's sure. definitely not. Hey, let us in, so. Yeah, oh, for sure, dude, you know? Um, I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the the several times that I've been here, the the beer obviously speaks for the fact that that's that's where the work goes, and that's where the yeah, that's where the heart goes, and and you can tell drinking it, um, drinking the. I had the groceries earlier, which is really really good. I'm drinking the Lampin now. Yeah, really really good. Both of them are smooth as hell. Uh, really really good. Thank you. So, uh, I guess my next is like, not not necessarily even like event specific, but like just like coming up. So we kind of talked about it because I thought it was tonight. So you have the uh, the chocolate covered cherry yeah. coming out. Is there anything else that you know is is in the pipeline? We have um, so we have approximately fifteen varieties of wine barrels that we keep aging with our sour beers, like our a little bit more traditional style. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're always doing releases with those to so definitely keep an eye out on Instagram and Facebook, and then jellies. Um, we're going to start ramping up production on those only because we have the, the ability to do so now. So we're going to do cans, and then right now we're doing big cans, 32-ounce crowlers, you know, two per person pretty much out the door when we do the releases. But 
now that we have the ability, we can bring a mobile canner in. So we're looking to do four packs to go ASAP. Awesome. Um, you know, with a major canning company coming through the door. Awesome, man. You have any? Yeah. Yeah, so how many people have uh, drank a lot of beer and then buy a couple of bicycles next door? <laughs> Well, it's not so much that. It's the people that go riding the bicycles and oh, then, then end back there. up. Bring it for some service, and, and while they're beer. waiting, come over and have a beer. Yeah, dude, it's amazing how many people like to work out and then get loaded. Yeah. <laughs> like we had us a, tomorrow. Yeah, we had on New Year's Day, we had a uh, this company, Mean Guy Running Company. It's a running company that they're attached to, kind of affiliated with Haddonfield Running Company. Okay. They ran on New Year's Day a uh, one-mile run at, like, Nine o'clock in the morning. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. I was in here hungover as shit, like trying to bark them. And these, there's like 150 of them, like a lot. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. So I mean, people like. That's to why work you need out. the garage door, man, so you can fit 150 through. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So you know, a lot of people like to work out and and drink, and I'm all for it. So. So whatever. you say Instagram and Facebook's the best place to find you guys. Yeah, yeah. Our website always lags. You know what I mean? I just feel like we're always doing too much crap to even think about it. But the easy stuff is, it's the easy stuff, man. You know, Instagram and Facebook, jump on and check us out. And and you guys are at AC Beer Fest, right? Yeah, we're actually hosting the uh, New Jersey Craft Beer Collab this year. So last year was at Bonesaw. This year, Kelly Green is hosting it. We I think we have 20 breweries coming here to collab on the uh, the NJCB oh, wow. beer. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. Legit. Yeah, I think we might be there. It's, yeah. It's a, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it yet, but... <laughs> It's, 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 it's allegedly. I just haven't bought my ticket yet. So. I mean, we have Five tickets months. to see Newfound, so yeah, you know, we I'll we tried all. We have the tickets for Friday night, but uh, you didn't you didn't hear it here. But yeah, we'll, well, we'll, hopefully you we'll, won't need them. We'll, we'll be there. Um, <laughs> Justin, thanks, man. Really yeah, appreciate yeah, you coming sure. on um, again. Hanging out at Kelly Green, right in Pittman. You can find them on Instagram, uh, Kelly Green Brewing Co. And type it in Facebook. I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, after this, we're gonna uh, discuss Norvell Pell. And it's that's with the team, talk about the upcoming schedule, and wrap up the episode, so stay tuned. Awesome, thanks. All right, so again, make sure you guys check out Kelly Green Brewing. Big shout-out to Justin for coming on. Appreciate having him. Really, really great interview. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And I want to move on to something we hinted at earlier, and that is the uh, ticking clock on Norvell Pell's time with this team and the what the Sixers are going to have to figure out in regards to if he's going to remain with the team, if he's going to go back down to Delaware, things like that. So uh, I didn't really know this, and we haven't really had to deal with this so far because anybody that we've had on a two-way since this became a thing, really, like, I don't think anyone's made the kind of impact that Norvell Pell has or filled a need that we, we really have, and we know that the backup center position has always been highly discussed for the past three years that we've been a competitive team. So as a two-way player for the Sixers, Pell is only eligible for 45 days in the NBA between the start of G League training camp and the end of the G League regular season. And I didn't know this, but when you're on the two-way deal, if you're only on the two-way deal and you don't get converted to a full NBA contract, you're not eligible for the NBA playoffs. That's so you can't be in the rotation. January 15th is the final day to sign players to two-way deals as well. So the reason that's significant is if you are going to convert Norvell Pell, you only have until January 15th to use your other two-way slot. And they can. They could give somebody else a two-way deal, and then they have a new time clock on their 
availability to be with the team this season. They wouldn't be playoff eligible, but you can also use that spot. So you're kind of freeing up two spots, but right now the roster's full. So it's going to take some kind of transaction if you're going to keep him, or if they do nothing, then he's going to end up back down in Delaware and he'll have to finish the season there, uh, barring some kind of other move. As far as his time with the Sixers, he's kind of floated back and forth, but just in his NBA time, I mean, we know that he's primarily going to be known for his defense. He's not going to be a big points guy. You know, the other night in, in arguably one of his better games against Boston, he had four points and six rebounds, but he did have a couple blocks, and he's averaging over six blocks per 100 possessions, which for a guy that's been a, a G League lifer, it, it's a really, it's it's great. And he blocked Cantor himself, I think, I think three times, two to three times in that game, and while you know, Cancer's going to get his, and ultimately, you know, there were there were lapses in the defense as well. Like, it's just the energy he brings, having that rim runner, and we, we know with Embiid out, and we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, when you're playing a lineup with Ben and, and Josh and even guys like Matisse and Ennis, like, you know, these guys these guys want to run. They want they want to get out in transition, and having a guy like Pell who's athletic, Who's who's not lagging behind and who can and who can go up and finish, which is something we get so frustrated about that a lot of these guys just don't seem to just be able to throw one down. Like Pell can do that, absolutely, and it's exciting. It's momentum. Uh, it gets it gets the crowd really involved. Like I think we were kind of still in a bit of a lull in the second half of that Boston game, especially because obviously they were trailing at the half. And Pell comes down and starts having a block party against Cantor. Like that wakes everybody up. Like it's such a big deal gets the crowd behind you, gets that home court advantage going. And I just really think that there's a spot for him. And the fact that for the last, you know, month, if not longer, he when they've gone to somebody besides Horford or Embiid at center, it's been him over Kylo Quinn. It seems hard to believe that now when you've done that and he's had success doing it, that all of a sudden your thought process would be like, ah, yeah, but we don't actually, you know, want to go forward with this. And you revert back. So the question becomes... You know, what do you think they can do? They can cut somebody, they can trade somebody, something like that. I reached out to friend of the podcast and Sixers beat writer, uh, Jason Blevins. You can find him on Twitter, at NBA, also of the Pain and Lines. And I was asking him, you know, if he had any idea what was going on, what his thoughts were. And he, he definitely agrees that Pell has to be a guy that remains with the team. And he thinks that he will, thinks that what the Sixers will end up doing, a lot of us predict that they're going to make some kind of move to bolster the bench so you can free up a roster spot just by making sure that you send out more guys than come in. So, for example, you know, maybe you, you package, you know, a Jonah Bolden, some combination of Jonah Bolden, Kyle O'Quinn, and Howell Neto. You know, like if you can send two of those guys and picks for one guy, then you can also free up the roster spot for Norval Pell. So whether you are a fan of Pell or not, the, the reason that that's important is because it also means that that deal has to happen by January 15th because they need they need to convert the contract. So theoretically, like a move is coming any day. It would be my thought if they plan to guarantee him. Because if not, then they're just going to have to cut somebody. And, and I don't think that they can really afford to because they need guys like Jonah Bull not to play, but they need them for like just salary filler and stuff like that. With the month uh, left before the trade deadline – you go on Twitter, you see all these trade machines, what beat writers are reporting. No matter 
you know, who you're going to trade for. There's always going to be an influx of players going out. So we should, as far as just, is there a roster spot for Norvell Pell? Yes, there, there definitely is going to be in some way, shape, or uh, form. Um, I didn't really think about how a move has to come before the 15th, and I, I'm definitely in agreement with you. Even I'm sure we can, whether it's only one of those players, whether it's a Raul or Kyle Quinn, Howell, Howell Neto, Attaching them with the second-round pick, you should be able to, to – I don't see why you can't do that. Yeah, th- right now they're projected to have because they have, I think it's Atlanta and the New York Knicks second-round picks this season. Right now I think that's like picks number like 31 and 33 or something like that. Like They're very valuable picks. They're basically a late first, right. so to speak. So we always joke about like fake first and stuff like that. Like, you know, a fake first is probably less valuable than those actual top of the second-round picks. When I say that the move would come before January 15th, y- you would think so. But I guess, like, the, the only counter to that is theoretically they can go beyond that date. They just would then lose the use of, an, of the other two-way slot. So, like, it doesn't have to happen, but it would stand the reason that, that you would want to make use of that because it doesn't cost you anything to do so. Right. And you have guys in Delaware like a Haywood Highsmith who has been with the team before. We saw him last year on the two-way deal get a little bit of run. Not that he's going to be a difference maker at all, but just, you know, they maybe they need bodies. Guys are out. We're already dealing with the Embiid injury. You want to give other guys rest, stuff like that. You could even see a guy like Chris Kumaje, who's been playing really well, you know, filling that Norvell Pell spot. It's just like, okay, if Embiid's out and Horford also needs rest, then you just have depth. Again, Kumaje would not be playoff eligible. He, he's not going to play significant minutes. But Which is fine. Just if you need the flexibility. But back to Pell, because I do think that there's actual value there. And I don't mean value like, oh, this guy's going to be a star. Obviously, he's 26. He's like a G League lifer. Like, I don't expect this guy to, to all of a sudden, you know, become this, like, diamond in the rough that that is a highly touted player. But when we talk about the value of a guy like Zaire, of a guy like Matisse, you know, the value is that when you're paying so many guys big money, you do need guys that can just contribute you know, at a very, very reasonable contract for several years as you're about to enter, you know, the tax and everything like that. So I just think that Norvell Pell is, I don't think we're going to have any Greg Monroe, Amir Johnson, like, qualms with him. He's a guy that at this point in his career would probably take a three- to four-year, like, minimum deal under team control. And if anything, like, you know, in future years, again, when you're trying to make the moves, at the deadline, you know, it, it's a valuable asset just to, to be a, a minimum salary filler, just just to open up roster spots, the same thing we're talking about now. But in regards to his actual play on the floor, uh, Brett Brown was asked about him, obviously, after he had a very successful game against Boston. This is what Brett had to say, quote, look at what he can do. Just zoom in the what is his skill set. What is his NBA skill set? And let's start with here's a rim protector and then go to offense and say here's a roller. Those two things are quite valuable, and he's quite different to our team. Then you get into, okay, who's going to run the pick and roll with him? You've got Ben Simmons and Josh Richardson that are exceptional at doing that, and we talked about this earlier, how they went to that in spurts in the Boston game. You've got Norvell rolling behind that. You can see why we would look at him as, that's a young prospect that interests us a lot. I thought he was excellent tonight. And then Norvell was asked about um, you know, his, his defensive presence, about being a rim protector, and this is what he had to say. Blocking shots is like my go-to, as you guys can know. Um, and that frustration, seeing it in their faces and whatnot, thinking that they got the open lane or got the shot, and it's getting thrown into the stands, it's, it's pleasing to me, as you can say. 
So then he was asked about Philadelphia and the crowd uh, getting behind him, and he said, definitely, definitely. Philly's known for just being hard-nosed and get the job done. Don't cry about it. And I feel like I can dictate that once I'm on the court. So it's really awesome. He's feeling really confident. You see, he's a big uh, bench energy guy, too, in a lot of the, uh, like the stills at the team post. When he's on the bench, you can see him like very animated, very emotional. Like it seems like he's really found a spot. I think he gets along with the guys. I, I just have a hard time seeing like why you you would keep a guy like Kyle O'Quinn around when you're not playing him and when he's on a one year deal anyway. Like you you, you got to make a move. I think him or Bolden are are definitely you know the top two cut or trade candidates, followed by Howell, and then I think very far behind any of those three is a guy like Zaire, which I don't want them to move, but he's one of the guys that actually has, like, value outside of being cheap. He's actually, a, you know, a prospect, a raw one at that. But And there's also the value of, as we talked before, the benefit with having the Blue Coats in Delaware is that these guys play in the same system that Brett, down, you know, Brett Brown, uh, you know, hands down to those Absolutely. guys. Absolutely. So at come trade deadline or buyout time, when you have, uh, you know, t- one, two, even three new guys coming in. It'll be nice just be, you know, having Pelder, like, he knows his role. He knows the system. He's going to be one less guy you're going to have to worry about fitting in. He knows his strengths, and that's what he's going to be playing with. So, gun to your head right now, you know, in a couple days, do you think Norvell Pell is a, a, a full-time sixer? I think so. I think he is. I think he deserves to be. I, I think they'll do the right thing. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. If they can make a move for, you know, Reggie Bullock and Alec Burks, guys we talked about on the last podcast, you know, uh, a bench guard that can create a little, get his own shot, and also just knock down Sasha. You know, Mar- Marty Teller really said it best, you know, who, who could actually get you, you know, like 20 points in a quarter like we've seen Alec, Alec Burks do at, at certain times. Obviously putting up numbers on, on a bad Golden State team right now, but somebody that we desperately need, somebody that, that can – do some of those things better than, you know, a Trey Burke currently is. And he's kind of filling that role for them right now. So as far as the Sixers' upcoming schedule, so uh, if you're listening to this on Saturday, which is probably when most people are going to hear it first, uh, they played Saturday night at Dallas. Uh, we saw without Luka, Dallas come into Philly and give us trouble. But Porzingis has now been out with a knee problem, but Luka's back. So... They have to face Luka in Dallas Monday. They're at Indiana again, which did not go well for us on New Year's Eve, obviously. Uh, Indiana still doesn't have Victor Oladipo back. I believe he said January 29th is the date that he expects to return, so he's coming soon, and they've been hanging in without him. So, you know, I think it would be really important to get that win and just, you know, get another game in hand against them, being that they're playing so well without him. There may be a little bit of, you know, staggering in that with implementing him back in, but it sure seems like if he can get right, that they're going to be just as scary as anybody else. Uh, you get to come home for two games Wednesday. They're at home against Brooklyn. Me and Corey here are going to that one. Uh, next Friday night, they're at home against the Bulls, and then it's a uh, back-to-back, so Saturday they're at the Garden against the Knicks. Uh, we'll probably have another episode either Friday night or Saturday morning, so... Uh, we'll talk about at least Dallas, Indiana, and Brooklyn on the next pod, and then uh, depending on when we actually do it, you know, Chicago and New York pending. As far as these five games, even though we may have to talk about Chicago and or New York on the next episode as well, but just look at these five games, you know, you come off the four-game losing streak, you've now won two in a row. 
you know, what, what do you need to see from this team over this time? Joel Embiid will, I would say, definitely not play in any of these games. Uh, you know, what, what do you need to see come from this stretch to to feel okay, to not feel panicked, taking into consideration that you are playing the stretch without your best player? And even without Embiid, I think these are a lot of winnable games here. I think, obviously, Dallas and Indiana, that's going to be tough, especially, you know, especially that two-little game road trip there. Um, as far as Dallas, it, it, it'll be interesting because I still feel, although with Porzingis being out, uh, you, you know, Luca, if if he has a game where he's just not on, we could hopefully steal that game. So that's what I'm kind of looking for. But hopefully they can build on the success of that Celtics win. Uh, you know, whether maybe they need a couple of minutes at Ben at the five. I would love to see Jay Rich come close. I mean, we're not going to expect him to score 29 every night, but if he could, you know, give us half of that maybe offensively, we'll definitely take it. And, yeah, that's that's really it, and it, it'll be interesting. Maybe uh, Norvell will line up with, uh, you know, Norvell and Trey Burke and Furcon and uh, gets us some more run, but maybe not. <laughs> I uh, The Luka thing is, is the biggest thing on here, obviously, because he's – literally playing at an MVP level for most of the season. I think without Porzingis, the the good thing for the Sixers is that I feel like between Ben and, and Al, you have two guys that can hopefully kind of hang with him. And without a guy like Porzingis to draw their attention, like I would imagine Horford would probably be primarily with Porzingis. And, you know, they have other guys on that team that can shoot, but like Porzingis is, is a guy that just demands more attention. So, Hopefully, without that, the Sixers are able to scheme to be able to, you know, kind of force Luca into some double teams. Maybe do a little bit of trapping. I mean, we, I mean, the, the guy makes amazing passes. You know, he's gonna get his versus that. But I just don't feel like you can sit back and let him go. You've got to try and throw a wrench in the gears, and and like you said, maybe you know, put him into an off night. Uh, you know, get in his head a little bit. We we haven't seen many people do it. He's playing really well, but. I would like to think that, you know, the, the same kind of thought we had in regards to them matching up with Boston is just, you know, with Porzingis out, I feel like they've got the guys to kind of be able to switch on him, even Tobias, like, can size up with him. Pretty well, Tobias, obviously not an elite defender, but he's been very good this year overall. So you've got the guys that where, like, he shouldn't really be able to just find a bunch of matchups that he can dominate with his, with his you know, size. But, I mean, the skill level, the, the speed is all there, the athleticism, it – I was so wrong about him, and I'll yeah, admit it, man. I think man. a lot of us were. It's crazy to me how good he looks, and and, it, and I hate to admit it, but you know that that's the one that you know you know he has he has another triple double. I think right now, I think he already has like the most like thirty point triple doubles uh, of anyone his age by like a margin of like five plus or something. Like it's not even like he has one more than somebody. Like it's it's a significant number. I want to say it's five. Um, he's doing crazy things. He probably will lose the MVP to Giannis, but there's a very real case that he deserves it because of the fact that, you know, like who else does anybody know on Dallas besides him and Porzingis? And, like, granted, Porzingis carried them a little bit while the very short stretch that Luka was out, but, you know, now Porzingis is looking like he's probably going to miss, like, double-digit games in a row, and Luka's still carrying them. They've been a lot better than I think a lot of people expected, uh, whereas, you know, Giannis... You know, he still has guys like Chris Middleton and, and Brooke Lopez around him. Like, yeah. you know, who else do you know? On the, I mean, you, Seth Curry. Uh, Wes Matthews? Is no. Nope. No. Yep. Didn't He's in Milwaukee. That right. oh, that, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I like. I, I honestly don't even know at this point. Now I imagine this being Saturday eight thirty. This is a national game. Is it at eight thirty? I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, I think so. But um, you know whether it's, that's the case or not. This this would be a a, a great Ben Simmons game to to just clamp him down defensively to to, to show that on national TV. I would really love that. It's uh, eight thirty, but you got to realize Dallas is Central Time. So yeah, I, I it says it's on that, NBC Sports, so I don't think it's national. Okay, but I don't know. But either way, this would be a great game to see Ben Simmons just if if he could like shut him down so that he can get more of that conversation of being a all first team defense NBA or defensive player of the year. If could shut down a guy who's favorite to be MVP, that I would yeah. really enjoy that. If, if I have to make a guess and purely speculation and a guess, I feel like they can steal that game, absolutely. And then we're going to have the come down disappointment on, on a Monday night in Indiana. Yeah, that sounds Where they just right. don't show up. And then they go on to win the next three. I'll take and that. Four and one over the stretch. Like, just keep in mind that if they go and lose in Indiana Monday night, regardless of what happens Saturday, I don't think it's the end of the world. We maybe don't want to hit the panic button. The only thing that would scare me, and this is kind of my last thing, I don't know if you've seen anything about this. Hopefully Ben doesn't get traded to the Warriors. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Because apparently it's, it's, it's such a makes so much sense that yeah. the Golden State Warriors would unlock the true potential of Ben Simmons. Get the fuck out of here. Oof. Why the fuck do we always have to hear this stuff? Why I'm, do so, we? I'm sorry to get no one wants the adult content at the end, but like this is so fucking stupid. Just stop. Just yeah. please stop. For the love of God, take the fucking trade machine away. Cancel it. It's canceled. Cancel it. My New Year's resolution is to no longer click on anything that has anything to do with the trade machine. I agree. Not even opening the image. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, thank you to Kelly Green for having us. This was a lot of fun. Beers were great. I'm drinking the, uh, the Informant Russian Imperial Stout. Now it's smooth as hell. Cannot taste the booziness at all, which is dangerous because... It's sitting at about 10%, so uh, it's crazy to think about. Again, shout-out Underground Sports Philadelphia for having us be a part of the family. Shout-out Design Tree for all our shirts and hoodies. Make sure you check out the tree. And in a, in a little over two weeks, we'll be at Design Tree headquarters to do a uh, episode of The Treehouse. So I'm really excited to go hang out with our dudes. Shout-out to our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Make sure that you call today, 856-904-5636. Mention this podcast for exclusive savings. Hit us with that five-star rating, review, subscribe to the pod. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and untapped at Process Potables. All the beers we're having tonight at Kelly Green. We're rating, we're reviewing on there, so you can find all of that. And anything else you're looking for Process Potables related, you can find at www.processpotables.com. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Trust the podcast. And uh, Norvell, why don't you uh, play us out real quick? That was crazy. But we got the win. We're in the crib. It felt good to be out there. Let's go, six times.